Welcome to episode number 10 in the Therapeutic Parenting Podcast from COECT, the Centre of Excellence in Child Trauma. COECT is an umbrella organisation combining resources, research and knowledge from experts such as the Inspire Training Group and the National Association of Therapeutic Parents. We provide carers of traumatised children and supporting professionals with effective strategies to deal with the challenges in their lives and to achieve the best possible outcomes. I'm Serena Gay, your host, and today I'm talking to Rachel Cawthorn about the impact of domestic abuse on the birth parent and children and how therapeutic parenting can help handle the fallout. Rachel specialises in families where the adults have a history of substance abuse and with adults who were traumatised in childhood. Rachel had a difficult childhood herself and left home at 15. Subsequently, she was homeless until she was 21. As she says, she was forced to learn about life the hard way. As an adult, she survived two toxic relationships, which, while they lasted, caused her to feel guilt and shame. But thankfully, all that is well in the past. Rachel's four children have all in one way or another experienced trauma because of the toxic relationships. But Rachel has used therapeutic parenting as a highly effective means of coping. She's a listening circle coordinator for the National Association of Therapeutic Parents, the NATP. And she joins us today from her office, where I think there are a few off noises of cars driving down the lane behind you, Rachel, but we'll manage with those. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Serena. Yes, apologies for the cars. We are (laughs) in a very rural, quintessential Cotswold town. And uh, so everything's amplified because it's so quiet. So apologies for that in advance. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll just try and think of the rural setting as we go along every time we hear a car. So, Rachel, let's start with asking you how you've been able to apply the experiences of your lifetime to help the people that you now work with. Yeah. So basically, I was a senior practitioner in substance misuse for 15 years. But basically, I realised that my personal life was it's given me skills to develop um, an understanding and an actual empathy with people going through similar struggles. So I kind of fell naturally into the profession. So the therapeutic parenting come in when I recognised some traits in my own children that was not necessarily conducive with normal childhood development, as professionals might say. So I saw some of the boys' behaviours, because I've got four children, two of the boys had irrational, erratic and bizarre and sometimes dangerous behaviours that were quite spontaneous and impulsive. And I was thinking, well, hang on, I parented my girls just the same way. They've got the same father. What's going on here? You know, the circumstances are all the same. And then I began to sort of, through research and my own personal research and professionally as well, I realised I was piecing it together. It's actually trauma related. So when I looked into it, I realised that when I negotiate more with my boys, I was therapeutically parenting them by not directly giving them orders or using punitive or or sort of punishment authoritarian parenting. I was getting on better with them and it was causing our household to maintain like more harmony, if you like. And although it wasn't like an instant fix and far from it, it's taken taken years I can really see the benefits of the therapeutic parenting approach because 
when they are dysregulated, sorry uh, for the words, when they are emotionally charged then, that heightened sense of very strong emotions that they can't seem to cope with and their behaviours become really sort of erratic or impulsive, those times you can't reason with somebody when they're that irrational. I know that from my substance misuse practice days. People under the influence of substances are irrational, you know. So we, the children are quite similar in that sense. They can't cope with those strong emotions, especially at toddler age or, or school age, depending on what experience they've had in early childhood. So I'm expecting them to listen to my reasoning as, you know, a two-way thing. And I'm expecting the impossible, basically, because the biology, if they're in fight or flight mode, they're not going to be able to cope. So when I realised that and I, I needed to comfort them more to contain the situation and then work when they were back with me in rational land, as it were, I was able to then parent them therapeutically by explaining, oh, when you run across the road like that, that was quite dangerous, wasn't it? Um, imagine if, you know, a car had been coming along. That would have been scary, wouldn't it? And sort of bridging the conversation as an equal, like talking to them rationally. And the response with my boys has been brilliant. I wanted to put the point that it's obvious that witnessing domestic abuse would leave lifelong scars on a child. Of course. Can you tell us more about the kinds of damage that it leaves behind? Basically, the, any child that's um, living with any toxic parental relationship or witnessing or being present around parents that have experienced domestic abuse, that child will pick up on something's going on, something's different with mummy or daddy. So the impact on the child then is the emotional development, the physical development and the psychological development. When I talk about development, I'm on about, you know, they re reach milestones, children, don't they? Child development, you know, we all know that. However, it can cause developmental delay in some areas. So you get children who are very intelligent, very good at tying their shoelaces and doing all the physical normal things that a child's expected to do of a certain age, but actually socially, their relationships are behind for their age range. So for example, when my son was seven, his social relationships were that of a four-year-old. And I noticed that. So when I started to parent him, if I treated him like a seven-year-old for social things like turn taking, sharing toys, that social aspect playing, he couldn't, he couldn't cope. I was getting more dysregulated behaviour, more erratic behaviour, more violent behaviour because I was treating him as a seven-year-old socially, when actually, if I parented him at a four-year-old age range, like you would a four-year-old boy, he was coping fine. And that was about going back to basics, about turn-taking, sharing toys, speaking kindly to each other, learning a bit of patience. What is it then, actually, that is causing these delays. I mean, I mean, yes, they're witnessing domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. What is the effect on the child that, that then causes what happens in the brain? The basics are the child will experience a trauma or an adverse childhood experience, as they call it now. That would be specific to them, but it will affect certain areas of the brain. They're still, their brains are still growing. We know that from child development. So there is a part of the brain that operates the fight or flight response. Um, that is the very primitive part of our brains. That part of our brain initiates our trauma response. So if we've seen something awful or we've lost a loved one or our parents are really upset or arguing in front of us and we're like 
oh my days, that's really frightening. We're frightened. That part of the brain will activate. In that state, we cannot reason with our intelligent parts of our brain, which is our cognitive functions. They diminish. So if a child is permanently living in a state of fright or flight, or, you know, really anxious and treading on eggshells, whatever you want to call it, then they are going to be not able to learn cognitive information. Yeah. They're not going to be able to remember things. So their concentration will be poor. They're not going to be able to create those healthy relationships you'd expect a child to do, like play with others. And yeah, the general well-being will be behind their peers that haven't experienced that significantly. The basal, the primitive part of the brain is awake because they are tr traumatized. They might not know they are because they've got used to it. They, they're like that all the time, but it, they're impacted by witnessing domestic violence or the arguments or mummy not being very happy. They sense something's wrong. That can traumatize children. Not all children respond the same way. Some come out relatively unscathed. Like I say, four of my children experience the same things, but my two girls are absolutely fine. The two boys have been affected physically and mentally. So it's it's completely different for each child. You can't predict it. However, their behaviours will tell you. So a child's behaviour is key. When you start to notice weird and wonderful behaviours, which I know our parents and caregivers are all very familiar with. That's why they've joined the NATP members. Basically, there will be a reason for those behaviours. It might not be something in the here and now. It could be from years ago. It could be from when they were in utero but it's there and those need addressing. And the only way to address it is by therapeutic parenting. And that comes down to, like I say, the non-authoritarian approach, more of a understanding trauma-informed approach that recognizes when they're in that fight or flight mode, they can't be reasoned with. You just got to contain the situation in a caring way. And then when they are back to their normal regulated responses, that's when you then implement strategies around, oh, well, when you feel like that, why don't we go in your room, keep you safe because we don't want you hurting yourself? Or why don't we go and play with your favourite toy? Would that make you cheer you up when you're feeling a bit anxious? You know, stuff like that, which, you know, in the professional game, they call it a safety plan, but you can do that in your own home. Yeah, It's not just about how domestic abuse affects small children, though, is it? It's, it's also about the toll it takes on the unborn child. So can you talk us through how this happens and what the effect can be on the unborn child? So when you're in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, that's when most of the DNA and the cells obviously form to make the fetus. That is a, a, any midwife will tell you, that's the pivotal point of, you know, you mustn't drink, you mustn't smoke if you can't, you know, you need to look after yourself in those first 12 weeks of pregnancy because of the developmental changes that happen to make it fetus. Now, if you're experiencing high levels of cortisol, which is stress hormones in your body, which again, if you're in a toxic relationship, you might think that is normal because you're not used to anything else. You might feel okay every day, you're going to work, you're functioning, you know, but actually those stress hormones are still present because you're being spoken to badly and treated badly at home. Um, then you can cause physiological changes. So that means biological changes to your unborn baby that you and professionals won't pick up on. It's only when they're born and they get older 
that the behavioural problems come out and emerge. And you're thinking, well, where did that come from? And that's the shock for a lot of parents. It does affect the foetus and their development. So you can get some disabilities, for example. So my youngest son was born with a thing called Hirschsprung's disease. And that is a physiological change in the first 12 weeks of utero that is unexplainable. It's a rare disease. And when I did my own research, I thought, well, there's no medical explanation why this would happen in our family. The only thing I could think of is the trauma that I was experiencing that I thought I was hiding was actually had caused this or was a causal factor. Obviously, I can't evidence that, but it's logic would dictate that's a possibility. Of course, this podcast is about, you know, domestic abuse and the effect on the children. But I think we still have an obligation, albeit brief, to explain if you're caught up in such a toxic relationship, what are the options open to you if you decide you've got to get yourself and the kids away from it? The domestic violence incidences over this last year have trebled, apparently. So domestic violence is even more prevalent while there's a pandemic on because people are in lockdown, they're in financial crisis. There's a lot of stressful triggers out there for families. So lockdown rules do not apply if you have to flee domestic violence. The police will back you up 100% and say, no, you go and visit so-and-so. If you said it was because your partner was being abusive to you, that you wouldn't get a fine, lockdown fine or anything like that. So my first point of call is in the current climate of the pandemic, do not worry about lockdown restrictions. And from a safeguarding point of view, don't let social services put you off from contacting them because there's a bit of a myth, myself included, used to be petrified of social services being involved because how it looked to the neighbours or we have this sort of mythical, scary picture in our heads of these children snatchers, you know, and it's not that at all. It's really not. And that's why I wanted to be one because I've seen some really good social workers out who, and there are a lot of them now, they just there to support you and they want to keep the family together. It's very difficult to get a child took off. So you should basically, you should definitely contact the social services if you if you're desperate to get out of a particular situation. Yeah, and the police as well. Obviously, they've got a legal and protective role to play, but social services have got more care coordination powers then than the police. So the police might do the practical stuff of coming to arrest somebody or, you know, physically protecting you if somebody you don't want turns up at a property and threatens you, stuff like that. That's brilliant. That's the legal aspect covered. But social services have got a lot of resources out there and can put you in contact with the right agencies that specialise in domestic abuse. So every locality will have their own version of domestic abuse support. That's really helpful. Now, given that, you know, you might well be a parent who finds yourself caring for children who are displaying the kinds of symptoms that you have described. Mm. How does therapeutic parenting help? How do you apply it? For example, any child that's experienced trauma, they don't like change. Change freaks them out. That initiates the fight or flight response. So, you're going to have to manage those transitions so much more sensitively in a clever way. So it makes your life easier. So, yeah, by getting a bit creative, and that's where these listening circles are so useful because other parents have their own ways of coping with things and you can share ideas and it's just brilliant. It's a great resource. There's little things like, you know, how to get them to brush their teeth, maybe use a different flavour toothpaste. 
getting them to pick their own toothbrush. I mean, they're all basic parenting hacks then, if you like, but they work a treat with somebody who might be more visual learning or somebody who might need a lot of pictures to understand things, more symbolic learners, clear, concise, um, simple language, not talking at them too fast, for example, that can help some children. Using picture books is always a good one, even though they're maybe a bit older and your friends saying, oh, they're too old for a picture book. Well, actually it works really well in the morning routine when they're a bit more dysregulated, they, they respond well to that. So photographs of your own house and home. We're going to a swimming pool tonight, Johnny or whatever. Here's a picture of the local pool. You know, that will help if they're worried about going in the car or something. So there's little, little things that you can sort of reflect on and, and use other parents for support and come up with some really good ideas, I find, during the listening circles. Oh, yes. Well, now about these listening circles, tell us a little bit more about how they work. Basically, you'll have a host like me. I'll be there just to meet and greet, if you like, and I'll introduce everybody. And you might only get two of us in a group, which isn't much of a group, but there might be up to 10 people. And you can have some wonderful conversations. We just go around the group. People don't have to talk if they don't want to. Nobody's making you turn your video camera on or mic on. If you don't want, you can just listen. And it's a safe place confidential obviously if there was a safeguarding concern that's my job as the host to have a word with you after and say actually you know that I might have to take that further but that very rarely happens because it's a safe place and everybody's there because they've got the best interests of their child at heart and yeah we'll just go through what might be bothering you that day what funny stories might have happened there could be a range of things that just naturally come up in conversation and by having that reflective open communication about real life what's gone on for you that day or week or whatever or there's a particular incident that scared you a bit or something was bothering you you realize how far you've come as a parent and how that impacts your child's development is so positive because when you're happy when you're relaxed when you're self-aware your child will be that, you know, we're role modelling behaviours all the time, consciously and unconsciously. And that is the most, that is the prime part of any recovery then or any improvements in the home is that self-awareness for parents and self-care for parents. Because unless we fully accept our flaws, and it's not about blame or anything, but we work on them for personal growth, we have to love ourselves first and then the children will naturally follow that it's it's like a, a positive affirmation if you like to ourselves and to our children I totally get that and are this are the listening circles conducted on you know platforms like zoom and in normal yes. time they are and in normal yeah. times would it would people actually come together for these meetings or are, have they always been digitally led yeah, so the meetings were originally face to face. So people were holding listening circles at cafes or school rooms or village halls, you know, things like that, or even pubs. And it was a, a lot of people got more out of the face to face meetings. However, so many people have childcare issues. So many people work, we're tired. So the actual joining of a virtual circle is so much easier now that technology is so improved and I'm not tech savvy at all, <laughs> <laughs> but I can use it. So it can't be that bad. So yeah, so the Zoom meetings, obviously with COVID at the moment, that's all we've been having. But yeah, when the restrictions lifted, there's no reasons why they can't be face to face again. 
and that's down to the listening coordinator to organise those, which I'm quite happy to do. But that would be obviously for local areas. Whereas at the moment, we can hold a virtual listening circle and I might have a lady from France join or Australia, which is fantastic. You know, it really livens things up a bit, you know. So it's, it's great. Well, may we soon be in a position where we can all meet face to face again if we want. Um, but yeah, may, may that happen. So, Rachel, everything that you've told us has been so helpful and so interesting. Do you have a message, really, for people who are suffering in a toxic relationship, you know, to, to let them know where it's all heading for them and what action they need to take? Yeah, so it's the lies you tell yourself to get by day to day. That's your survival mode. And there is no shame in that. But the quicker that you realise that you need to leave that relationship and they will not change and it doesn't matter how infrequent or frequent doesn't matter the levels of that toxicity if you recognize it as toxic trust your instinct and do something about it don't just leave it because it will affect your children and they have to come first so you can be in love with somebody that doesn't treat you very nicely but you do need to prioritize the children and research shows it does impact them and it does cause a lot of developmental delay and, and you know, affects their future contributions to their, you know, society and their lives. Their outcomes are reduced. So it's so important to try and get it right for yourself to keep safe and the children as soon as possible. Oh, thank you. That has been so good and I'm sure invaluable for the people who are listening. To find out more about COECT and to access help, please visit www.coect.co.uk or head straight for the Facebook page where you can get answers 24-7, including at weekends and on public holidays. The Facebook link is either at the end of the Daily Bulletin, emailed by COECT to you, or it's in the show notes to this podcast episode. The podcast is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and a whole load more. Find us on one of those sites and you'll also find the subscribe button to press to automatically receive this podcast every week. We'd love you to leave a review for the podcast on one of these sites. It'll help other people find us and find all our helpful advice. Bye for now. <laughs>